We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect Son. The perfect Son of God, the Savior, the sacrifice, and the substitute for the sins of mankind. He is the God-man. He is the one who is able to be the go-between, the mediator between God and man. Now, this morning, we're continuing to see the early part of the ministry of Christ. It takes place around the Sea of Galilee. Last time, we saw rejection. He went to his hometown, Nazareth. They rejected him. They even tried to kill him. Well, now he moves to this fishing village called Capernaum, and this town actually becomes his headquarters of his ministry. How do they receive him? As we see our passage this morning, we're going to see the authority and the power of our Savior Jesus Christ. He has authority to teach the Word, the Word of God. He has the power over demons and over disease. We're also going to see at the very end of the passage his fellowship with his Heavenly Father, and we'll take some application to that as well. There is so much in this passage, and may we gain from our study as we look at God. God's perfect word. Well, you know, it's, it's a busy time. We've all got these busy days, especially around the Christmas season. Everybody's talking about, i got this to do and this to get, do. And sometimes we have those days that it just seems like it's one thing after another. It's all day. It goes into the night. Maybe you're studying for this test and everything to start tomorrow. And maybe it's a big project at work. Maybe it's some crisis that's got to be dealt with. But sometimes you just stay up late and there's so much to do. What about the next day? Do you sleep in? Do you say, boy... I just need to sleep. Or do you get up? What about your quiet time? What about your time of prayer? What about your fellowship with God? Are we so tired that we say, He understands. How important is our time with our Savior Jesus Christ? This morning we're going to see the ministry of Christ. We're going to see that He gets this. We're going to get a good look at how He maintained His fellowship with His Heavenly Father. He has this ministry in Capernaum. It goes during the day. It goes in the evening. And it goes all night. What does He do the next day. Well, may we learn from the life of our Savior Jesus Christ as we think about maintaining the priority of our relationship and fellowship with our Savior. Well, let's begin. We are at the start of the ministry of, of Jesus' public ministry. He is living in the northern part of Israel. Uh, he has been baptized by John. He has been tempted by the devil. He went to his hometown, Nazareth. And uh, when he got there, uh, he, he actually read the Bible. They, they gave him a part of the Scripture. He opened it up. It was Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He read all of verse 1 and half of verse 2 and stopped because he was fulfilling all of verse 1 and half of verse 2. The last part of verse 2 was going to be dealing with his second coming, so he stopped reading. And he told him he'd fulfill the scripture. Of course, they got all upset. They thought he was going to do miracles, and and uh, they uh, that didn't they didn't believe in him. They they rejected him and tried to throw him out of town and almost tried to kill him. He leaves there and goes to a little town, a fishing village, which is called Capernaum. And we're going to see what he does there. And as we as we look at uh, at the, this passage this morning, there are three things going to stand out. First of all, we're going to see his authority, his authority as a teacher. He teaches the word of God, and guess what? The people are amazed. We'll see a second thing, which is his power and his healing. He's going to deal with demons. He's going to deal with disease. And guess what? The people are amazed. And then we're going to see the third thing in this passage. That's his fellowship. That's his fellowship with the Heavenly Father. And we're going to see what he does and then how we can make application. You know, Luke presents Jesus as the Son of God, the perfect man, the one who is able to be our Savior. Well, this morning, we see his ministry at Capernaum. And we'll see a contrast because there's a contrast between his ministry in Capernaum and his ministry in Nazareth. In Nazareth, there was rejection. In Capernaum, there is amazement. 
And we'll see how this ties together. Well, let me break down the passage for you. We're going to look at those verses that, I, that we read, verse 31 through the end of the chapter. We're going to see in verses 31 and 32 his teaching in the synagogue, and we see his authority. Then we're going to see 33 through 37 his healing in the synagogue, and we're going to see his power, power over demons, we'll see. Then the third thing, we'll see his healing of Peter's mother-in-law, and we're going to see once again his power. Then we'll see his healing in the city, and once again his power. And in the very last part of the passage, verses 42 through 44, he meets with the Father, and we see his fellowship. So there's some great things in this passage that we can apply. We'll go through it fairly quickly. It's narrative, of course, and we're going to see some of the things that, that happens. We remember last time the rejection of Jesus in his hometown. They saw him, and, and, and they said things like this, this. He's the carpenter. We know his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. If he's going to do miracles, let's see some miracles right now. Are we not going to believe in him? And they didn't believe in him, and they rejected him. And so he leaves and he goes to Capernaum. Look at verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. It says, He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Now, Capernaum was this fishing village which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. When you think about Jesus' ministry, you realize that most of his ministry was in the northern part of Israel. The northern part of Israel is called Galilee. The middle part of Israel is called Samaria. And the southern part of Israel is called Judea. Galilee, the northern part is called that because of the Sea of Galilee. And most of his ministry was around the Sea of Galilee in those cities. Now he grew up in Nazareth, which is only about 15, 18 miles from the Sea of Galilee. Cana of Galilee, which is a little town that he did some miracles in, is only about 4 or 5 miles from Nazareth. So it's all in that same area. He would do things in Jerusalem, but most of the time Jesus did his ministry in the northern part of Israel. Three times a year, Jewish men had to come to Jerusalem. So we know Jesus came south to Jerusalem at least three times a year because he kept the law perfectly. He came at different other times, but just realize most of his ministry was in the northern part of Israel. So he goes to this city, which is called Capernaum, a city of Galilee. That was a small fishing village. If you think of uh, the Sea of Galilee, think of the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and there was this city. And it was known for fishing. It was a fishing village. This is where Luke records the first of 21 miracles. Now, this is not the first miracle does John, Jesus does. This is the first one that Luke records. Luke records 21 of them. The Gospel of John records of them. Jesus has already turned the water to wine. He's already healed this nobleman's son. He's already done some other things. So he's already done miracles. This is the first one that Luke records. As we look at this event in the synagogue, two words seem to stand out, and they're this, authority and power. We'll see it deals with authority, if you'll go to the next slide, authority as a teacher and his power over demons and disease. So watch as we go through this. We'll talk about authority. We'll talk about power. And we'll see how it ties together. Now, as Jesus comes to Capernaum, he's going to settle here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 says that he came to this city and settled there. And that became his headquarters. Now, before we realize what's happening and see what happens, think about this. Peter and Andrew are from Capernaum. They live there. In fact, Andrew obviously lives with Peter, and Peter's wife and mother-in-law live with him there. So when they go to their house, there's Peter and Andrew. You won't see it in this passage. You have to go to one of the other Gospels. But there's Peter and Andrew and, his, and Peter's mother-in-law and obviously his wife. So that, that's a town there. Now, a, a number of weeks ago, not at our study, but weeks ago in the life of Christ, John the Baptist had been telling people that the Messiah was here. John the Baptist had men with him. Andrew, Peter, 
James, John. Those were people who believed with John the Baptist. One day John the Baptist saw Jesus walk by and he said, There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Some of these men followed Jesus. And they went and they spent the night with him. They talked with him. They went with him to Cana of Galilee where he changed the water to wine. They saw him heal the nobleman's son. They they saw him talk to Nicodemus. But Jesus has not chosen these men yet. They are following him around. They believe in who he is, but they're not his disciples yet. They go back home after being with Jesus, and they go back to doing what they do for a living. They're fishermen. So I want you to understand, Jesus has begun his ministry, but don't picture 12 men following him around. He hadn't picked them yet. Some of the 12 are right here. We'll see it more when we come back from Christmas, because uh, we'll finish Luke chapter 4, and, and then we'll have some Christmas messages. And when you, by the time you come back from, from Christmas break, we'll get back into chapter 5, and you'll see when he calls his disciples. But uh, Peter is a fisherman, and he is living in Capernaum. And uh, he's some, seen some of the miracles that Jesus had done, but they're not following Jesus yet. Notice what happens. He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, as you know, is Saturday. Sunday's the first day of the week. The Jewish people will work six days, rest on the seventh. Seventh day was Sabbath, sad, the Sabbath or Saturday. So Jesus would go in the synagogues, the places they would come together, and they would worship. And he would go teach. Now, I want you to remember this. We've seen it over and over already in about four places already in the Gospel of Luke. It says he was going to the synagogues and he was teaching. Jesus had the emphasis of the teaching of the Word of God. We saw it last week when he went into to Nazareth. They, he unrolled the scroll to Isaiah 61. He read it and he taught about it. What we find is Jesus taught the Word of God. Now sometimes you picture Jesus and you think Jesus is out with the crowd and he's telling a bunch of stories. When Jesus went to the synagogues, he taught the Word of God. What it seems is that in the, in the crowds, he would do parables. In the synagogues, he would teach the Scripture. Now that doesn't mean he didn't do both, but, but as a whole, that's what we see. So he's coming to the synagogue and notice what it says. He was teaching them on the Sabbath. That idea that it was on ongoing Bible teaching. And let me tell you something. There's something we must learn. That is this, that the Scripture has to be the emphasis. When we gather together on a Sunday morning, it's got to be the teaching of the Word of God. Stories are fine, but the Word of God is why we come together to be taught. That's what, that's what Jesus did. He taught the Scripture. That's what we're to do when we're to come together. Now, as we see this passage, we're going to see His authority and His power. Notice what happens. It says, And He came down to, to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and He was teaching them on the Sabbath. Now, look at this contrast, and I showed it a while ago. The contrast at Nazareth, there's rejection, but at Capernaum, there is amazement. Watch. Look at the response to the teaching of the Word of God. Verse 32. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. They were amazed. The Greek word for amazed means to stand out from yourself. It's like you get, well, I'm over here, but I'm over here. I'm so amazed. I mean, this is amazing. That's what the word means. They were amazed when Jesus taught. When he taught, they went... Wow. Because see, here's what they were used to. It says that he taught with authority. See, they were used to the priest and the rabbis and those people. They would come in and they would teach, but they would give opinions. In fact, many times a rabbi would talk about what other people believed about a passage, not about the passage. And that happens today. There are a lot of people, they'll talk about the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. There is a difference and you need to recognize it. You can go to a church and the man may talk about the Bible, but that doesn't mean he's teaching the Bible. See, the Bible... 
It's the authority. And Jesus spoke with authority. Notice what it says. They were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he was teaching, his message was with authority. He is the Son of God. He is the living word. And he taught the written word. He did something nobody else did. He would say something like this. He'd say, you have heard it say, but I say to you. Authority. See, authority means the right to do something, and he has that right. They were amazed. And you know, it was, when he would teach, people just couldn't believe it. There was, there's going to be another time, we'll read it later on in the gospel, where some of the religious leaders want Jesus arrested. So they get three or four soldiers, Jewish soldiers called temple soldiers, and they sent them to arrest Jesus. And they sent them off, and then they came back, and they came back without Jesus. And so they look at him and say, why didn't you get Jesus? And they said this, nobody ever spoke like that. He taught with authority. And that's the key for us. You want to speak with authority? Teach the Word of God. See, it's not the speaker, and it's not the stories, and it's not the delivery. It is the Word of God, which is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the authority. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul said, Timothy, teach the Word. Because it never comes back void. It accomplishes its purposes. John 17, 17, it is truth. You want to speak with authority? You teach the word of God because it's the authority. When Jesus spoke, they were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching with authority. So the first thing we see is his authority as his teaching and their response is they were amazed. Well, look what happened. Look at verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Now, there's this man in the synagogue. I think it was very strange. Think about if you came into this group, and it's sort of like going to church. It was a synagogue. They would sit there, and they'd have a reading of the Scripture and the teaching. They'd sing some songs. They would do a creed. So just picture coming to church, and there's this man there possessed by a demon. That's what it says. In the synagogue... There was a man possessed by a spirit of an unclean, unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Now, you understand that, especially at the time of Jesus, there seems to be an increased manifestation of demonic activity when Jesus was on the earth. But there is an aspect that there are fallen beings. We call them demons, fallen angels. You know, when Lucifer, the son of the morning, the, the angel that guarded the throne of God, when he rebelled against God, God removed him. The book of Revelation gives a hint, gives us a statement that, that a third of the stars fell with him. Many people believe that a third of the angels followed Lucifer. And we call them fallen angels. We call them demons. They can possess human beings. Now, the best I can tell from Scripture is they cannot possess a believer. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. So as a believer, you don't have to worry about it. But we can understand that when unbelievers open themselves up to the occult and to demonic things, sometimes they get possessed. That can happen. At the time of Christ, this was happening a lot. And there's this man in the synagogue who was possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon, demon-possessed, and he cried out with a loud voice. Now watch what the demon says. The demon says this, Let us alone, verse 34, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Now he says, let us alone. There's some debate on whether there's another demon in there. And he's saying, let us alone, two demons. Or he's saying, let us alone, talking about the body that he possesses, that man that he possesses, saying, let us alone. We don't know. Can't tell. It literally says in the Greek, what to me and to you, Jesus? What the demon is saying to Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Why have you come here to bother me? That's what he's saying to Jesus. And then he says, have, and by the way, he knows exactly who Jesus is. He says, 
What business do we have to do with each other? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. He knows who he, are, who he is. He's the Holy One of God. Let me tell you something. Demons know, the devil and the fallen angels know exactly who Jesus is. They know that he is the Son of God. They know that he became a human being. They know that he died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. I want you to understand that. They know that. What they also know is Jesus did not die on the cross to pay for the sin of demons. He did not. The book of Hebrews tells us that. He became a human being so he could die for us. He did not become an angel to die for angels. There is no provision for the sin of angels. That's why Jesus is the judge of the angels, not the savior of the angels. That's why this demon, when he hears this, says, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, the sins of human beings. He did not deal with the sins of the fallen angels. That's why he was the judge of the angels. That's why in in a verse that people get mixed up on all the time, James chapter 2 verse 19 says, Even the demons believe and, what does it say? Tremble. What do they believe? They believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe He's the Savior of mankind. They tremble because He is their judge, not their Savior. I want you to understand that. As we go through this, you're going to see that there are going to be times that demons will come out, fall down in front of Jesus and say, Have you come to judge us before our time? So understand this. So here's this demon who knows who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of mankind, that he is the judge of the demons. And he says, I know who you are, you Holy One of God. But notice this. Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing any harm. Now Jesus rebuked him. In fact, Jesus stopped him from saying who he was. You might say, now wait a minute, what's the big deal? Because Jesus, I thought you wanted everybody to know who you were. And so if his demon is saying you're the son of God, isn't that good? No, it's not. Jesus does not want the testimony of the demons. You will find that every time the demons begin to shout out who Jesus is, he stops them from doing it. So here's this demon saying, I know who you are, Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. He has this authority. Now watch the power. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. Now, Jesus has authority when he teaches, and they were amazed. He has power over the demons. We're going to see that they're going to be amazed. How would you feel if you were in this meeting, let's pretend it was the synagogue, and Jesus is there teaching, and suddenly a man stands up controlled by a demon? We know it. We look, and he's shouting out, what are you coming to do? I know who you are. And Jesus tells him, be quiet. And come out. And suddenly that man just falls on the ground because it says it threw him in the mist. We'd all be going, is he okay? What's wrong? Is he okay? It says the demon came out without harming him. See, Jesus has power. Power over the demons. And so it said, when Jesus rebuked him, saying, verse, verse 35, be quiet. Come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing any harm. What's their response to this? Look what it is. Amazement came upon them all. Verse 36. And amazement came upon them all. And they all began talking with one another. What is this message? 
for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. See, amazement. When he taught the Bible, they were amazed. When he taught with authority, they were amazed. When he shows his power over the demons, they are amazed. And what did they say? They said, what is this message? And look at those two key words. For with, the, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. I want you to understand something. Jesus has all authority. In fact, you remember what Jesus said before he sent the guys out, before he sent the, the disciples out uh, for the Great Commission? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore and make disciples. All authority. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over disease. He has authority to teach. He is the Son of God, the Creator, the Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector. He is everything. So what does he do? This demon right in the middle of the synagogue does this, so he cast him out, and amazement came upon all the people. They began saying, wow, what authority, what power he commands. And look at the response. And the report about him went, was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Now, the Greek literally says, and the noise went out. People started talking everywhere and said, did you see what happened? I was in the synagogue and there was this guy. And, and this, oh, first of all, he taught so much we couldn't believe it. It was just so amazing he taught. And then there was this guy there and he cast it out. I mean, he just started talking and it started spreading everywhere. All through the people all around the region began to hear this about Jesus. Now, if you'd been there that night or that afternoon and then you go home, what do you think about when you go home? You go home and you say, you know, Aunt Martha's been sick for a long time. I'll bet you if we could get Aunt Martha to Jesus, he could heal her. Because what he did today, we saw it. We, we saw he had this authority when he spoke and, and he took this demon and just cast this demon right out of this person. And, and I guarantee if he can do that, he, he, could, he could heal Aunt Martha. Let's get Aunt Martha. Let's go. This is what's going to happen. Now watch. He finishes the teaching, and, and the Sabbath basically is coming to an end. And notice verse 38. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. Now, they leave the synagogue. You remember, it, uh, they leave and they go to Peter's house. And, and you can tell from one of the other Gospels that it says that both Peter and Andrew were there, and the mother-in-law. So the best we can tell, maybe, is Peter and Andrew lived there with Peter's wife and Peter's mother-in-law. And when they get there, she's sick. She has this high fever. Remember, Luke was a physician. So when he says high fever, he meant a high fever. And he says, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked him to help her. Probably Andrew and Peter came over. Maybe, maybe Peter's wife came over to him and said, my, my mother is very sick. and Can you help her? She's got this fever. Now, we're going to see his power. We've already seen his power over demons. We're going to see his power over disease. Now, if we walked in that room, we would finally find his Peter's mother-in-law laying on a little mat on the floor. They didn't have the beds like we have, and she's laying on the floor, and she's just there, and the fever is so high that she probably can't hardly talk. She can't hardly move. She's just laying there. And they come over to him and say, could you, could you do something? Could you do something? We, we know you can. We know what you can do. Would you do something? And look what it says. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever. By the way, the word rebuked is exactly the same word as when he rebuked the demon. He is now rebuking the disease. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up 
and waited on them. Now, I want you to see several things. His power, his power to heal. I want you to understand this, that Jesus Christ, even today, has the power to heal. He can do anything he chooses to do. And when I turn on the television and I see some of those people, I don't think that's from the Lord. But I guarantee you this. He tells us to be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known. And you, if there's people you know that are sick and that you, you can pray, Lord, if, if it be your will, Lord, would you heal them? Let me tell you. He can heal them. Now, whether that's his plan or purpose, we don't know. But I guarantee you this, he can heal them, and he can heal them just like that. Look what he does. Standing over her, he rebuked the fever, stopped it right there, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. You notice he didn't come over and say, listen, if you'll take a couple of aspirin, drink plenty of fluids, a couple of days, you'll start feeling a lot better. He didn't do that, right? And notice when he healed her, it didn't say she got up and she said, well, whew, I'm still a little lightheaded. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to just sit over here for a while, maybe after I feel, no, it says she got up and what did she do? One of the other gospels says she made him, she made him food. She going, you know, I feel great. In fact, it's as if I never even had that fever. That's what he does. He can heal Anyone, anytime, any place that he chooses to do. His power. His power over disease. His power over demons. It's really a picture of spiritual healing here because, see, we're dead in trespasses of sins. We're sick with sin. We can't do anything about it. And he heals us and heals us immediately. All who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the moment you believe, you're healed forever. Now, you remember that on the Sabbath day, they couldn't travel. You could travel less than a half a mile on the Sabbath day. So you had to be real careful because you had to travel far enough to get to the synagogue and then far enough to get back home. But when the Sabbath ended, then you could go anywhere you wanted to go. Well, all these people have been, it's the Sabbath day, so by the time they got home, they had done all the traveling they could do on that day. But when did the next day start? It started at sundown because, see, the Jewish days start with the night first. They got that from God. Evening and the morning were the first day. Evening comes first. And so on a Jewish calendar, when the Sabbath is over, it's over a little past 6 o'clock in the evening. So after those people came home from the synagogue and the Sabbath was over, they said, we can make a trip now. Let's get Aunt Martha and let's go see Jesus. And that's what they're going to do. Watch. Verse 40. While the sun was setting, that means the Sabbath is now over, all those who had those who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Now that the Sabbath is over, they're coming. Mark chapter 1 verse 33 tells us that the entire city, now it's a hyperbole, it says the entire city came to the door. Most of the people, many of the people in Capernaum had sick people. They all coming to Peter's house. You can almost see Peter's mother-in-law going... Were y'all expecting people to come tonight? I mean, what's going on? There's, there's this crowd forming outside. I mean, a huge crowd. Notice what it said. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Now, I want you to see something that sometimes is missed here. Jesus could have done this. He could have opened the door and said, Can we back up just a little bit? Everybody, just back up just a little bit. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Here's what I'm going to do. You're all healed. Thank you for coming. Right? Could he have done that? Could he have healed every person immediately? Could he have done that? Sure he could have. 
He didn't do that, though. What did he do? It says, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Why? Because, see, Jesus doesn't just go, okay, you're all healed. He knows every person. He knows you individually. He doesn't just look at this group and say, well, there's just a bunch of people there. He knows everything about every one of us. And that night, he didn't go, thank you for coming, you're all healed. He went, come here. And he touched them, and he knew them, and they left. And he touched the next one, and he knew them. He could have done it all just like that, but he took the time to take care of each one individually. And he takes the time to know you in an individual way. That's why when you come to God, it's as if you're the only person that exists. You can talk to him anytime, anyplace, anywhere. He deals with each one of us as if we were the only one. He knows everything about you. He cares everything about you. That's why the Bible says you can come boldly to the throne of grace. He took the time that night to touch every person that came to that door. There's no telling how long that took. Maybe most of the night. Notice this. Demons were also coming out of many shouting, You are the Son of God! But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. You could say, well, doesn't he want people to know he's the Christ? Not from the demons. He doesn't want the testimony from demons. He wants the testimony from humans. You are the ones to tell people about Jesus. Now, demons were there, and they, they, they were shouting, you're the Son of God, you're the Christ. And he said, no, I won't let you talk. Now, some people... And I'm just going to mention that. Some people, when they look at things about that, they say, well, there's really no such thing as demons. What they thought was demonic activity was just something like epilepsy or some disease. And so when they were casting out demons, they really weren't in such thing as demons. I want you to notice that Luke makes the distinction between people who had diseases that he healed and people that he dealt with demons. And he cast them out. And remember... I think I've got the slide here. He is the Savior and the Judge. He is the Savior to all who believe, and He is the Judge of all who reject. Now, for the demons, they don't have they don't have a salvation. They don't have a Savior. But to all of us in this room, Jesus Christ is either your Savior or your Judge. If you believe in Him for eternal life, He is your Savior and you're saved forever. If you do not believe in Him, if you reject in Him, He will be your Judge. One day you'll stand before Him and you'll be cast into the lake of fire. I want you to understand something. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 tell us that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's where the demons are going to be. And anyone, any human being who does not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, who he has a provision for, they will be cast in the lake of fire. So he's, a, he's your Savior, your Judge. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because you do not want to stand before him as your judge and be separated forever. Well, there's one last thing, and I'll go through it very quickly. Let's see, there's one last aspect, and notice what it says, verse 42. It says, When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. Now, it says, When the day came, Jesus went to a secluded place. What is he doing? 
Well, you can't tell from this, but let me read something to you. Just because of time, I don't want you to have to turn there. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, listen to this. This is the same event. All the people came, and he healed them, and it was basically most of the night. And look what it says, or listen to what it says. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Now, Jesus could say, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not getting up in the morning, cause see, I taught at the synagogue, and, and then I just, most of the night, I was healing all these people, and I took the time to take each one, and so I think the best thing to do is maybe kind of sleep in the day, so I can have my energy for the rest of the day. It's not what he did. He got up while it was still dark. He made the priority of his life to have that fellowship with his father. You can't tell it from the Gospel of Luke, but from the Gospel of Mark, it says, he was praying. And that's what he did. We're going to see as we go through the Gospel of Luke, it's going to mention several places that it was Jesus' custom to go off by himself and to pray. And so what did he do? He got up and he maintained his fellowship with his Heavenly Father. And I think we've got to do this. No matter how busy we are, we've got to make that priority. We've got to be very careful because sometimes we let the, the events of this world stop us from being with our Heavenly Father. And we can't do that. Notice what happened. Uh, they came out searching for him, and they, they didn't want him to leave. They, they kept saying, stay here, stay here, but, verse 43, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Literally in the Greek it says, it is necessary that I preach the kingdom. When he talks about preaching the kingdom, he's talking about the fact that he's going to announce that he's the king, that he's the savior, that he's come, that the king of kings and the lord of lords has come to this earth. He says, it's my responsibility to go from city to city to city. I can't just stay in Capernaum. I've got to tell others. That's why I came. We have a responsibility as well. We get to tell people about Jesus Christ. We can't just gather together and stay here. We have to go all over this community, all over this state, all over this nation, and all over this world with the message of Jesus Christ. And we have that privilege of doing that. And we tell them, uh, <clears throat> tell them about our Savior, Jesus now, it ends this way. So he kept on preaching in the synagogue of Judea. Literally, it says the country of the Jews or the, the Jewish people. And so he continued. This is a summary statement that he would go into the synagogues and he would preach and he would teach the truth about who he is and what he is doing. Well, when we come back from Christmas, we're going to see what happens because he's going to go and we're going to see he begins to call some of his disciples. At this point, he doesn't have any men with him. He doesn't have Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and those 12 guys, but he's going to get them pretty soon. We'll see it when we come back. After the rejection in Nazareth, the response of Capernaum is amazement. They saw his power and his authority. They saw his authority to teach. They saw his power over sickness and, and demons, and, and he takes the time to have the fellowship with the Father and they want him to stay there, but he says, no, I have to go. I have to go. Well, what can we apply from this? First of all, understand the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, see who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He has the authority. When he teaches the Word of God, the people were amazed. He has the power over demons and disease. When he did all this, the people were amazed. That's the thing. And so understand who he is. And with that in mind, here's a great application. Trust Christ as Savior. If you do not know Jesus Christ, right where you're sitting right now, you can believe in him as your Savior. It's not your works or goodness or church or baptism or anything. It is simply believing that Jesus Christ will give you eternal life, and he will. It is a gift. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So trust in Christ as Savior. He is the one that saves us from sin, from sickness, from disease, from bondage. He is the one that gives us eternal life. The second thing that we can learn from this is hold to the authority of the Word of God. 
The Bible is our authority. Now, Jesus was the authority when he was on the earth. And the Word was the authority. So it was a double dose. You've got the authority of Jesus and the Word of God, which is the authority. When we are here, we are not the authority. But the Bible is. So go to the Bible as your authority. And number one, live by the Scripture. Know it. Study it. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live out what the Word says. But the second thing is teach it. Proclaim it. Tell other people. That's why at our church, we've got to keep the emphasis that we teach the Word of God. Because that's the authority. Live by the Word. Proclaim the Word. There's a second application. Have as our priority our fellowship with our Savior. Take the time to be with Jesus Christ. Let's spend time with Him. Don't let the events and the circumstances of our lives and our world take away our time with God. Because it will happen just like that. It is natural. In fact, if you don't do something, you'll wake up and you'll go, What happened to the day? What happened to the time? I don't have time. You have to have time. You have to make time. You have to choose to do this. Whether it's in the morning or at lunch or at night or before you go to bed. You have time to be with your Savior. So you've got to make that a priority. If Jesus made it a priority, you know what it means to us. We've got to do that. Get to know Him. Spend time with Him. Pray, read, study, do it all. May we understand the power and the authority of our Savior. And may we maintain our fellowship with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for, as we look at this, we see the power and authority of Jesus Christ. The people were amazed. His authority when he taught, his, his power over the demons and disease. And so, Lord, I just pray if there's anybody in this room who's never trusted Jesus, that even right now they'll believe in him for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that, that we have the word of God, that you've given it to us. You've given us the written word, which is the authority. And so, Lord, may we keep as our focus the teaching of the word, and may we live by the word of God. And then, Lord, we know how vital and important it is to spend time with you. Lord, we know that if we're not careful, everything else will take precedent. May we make as a priority in our lives to spend time with you. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.